you brought a Bible tonight, I want you to go to the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 18, and we're going to begin uh, at verse 1. Si trajo su Biblia esta noche, vamos a ir a San Lucas, el capítulo 18, y luego el verso 1, y luego el 9. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verse 1, and then we're going to jump down to verse 9. Praise the Lord. Have you found it? It reads, Now he was telling them a parable to show them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Verse 9. And he told also this parable to some people who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. If I fast twice a week and I pay tithe of all that I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus responded by saying, I tell you, this man went to his house justified, rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you tonight for your presence. We're so blessed to be in your house. And we pray tonight that you would speak to our heart by your word. I pray that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the power and the wisdom of God's word. And I pray that you would anoint this congregation that as they hear the word tonight, it would not just be hearing only, but doing as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. I want to, before I go to the paragraph which I have read, I want to do a little walk through the, the, the 18th chapter of St. Luke. Antes de ir a los el pasaje que hemos leído, quiero que hagamos una, una corte revista o repase del capítulo 18 de San Lucas. Chapter 18 of Luke is a chapter on prayer. Este es un capítulo de la palabra del Señor sobre la oración. And there are a few chapters in the Bible that have a good number of references to prayer. Hay varios capítulos en la Biblia como este que hacen gran reverencia o referencia hacia la oración. But what's unique about this chapter is that all the teaching on prayer is done through pictures and parables. Y pero lo, lo distinto de este pasaje es que toda la oración, toda la enseñanza sobre la oración que vemos en este capítulo es hecho a través de parábolas. And so rather than Jesus giving us a five-point sermon about what prayer is and what prayer isn't, he gives us five people in this chapter who pray. And those word pictures become to us great lessons about prayer. Jesús en este capítulo aquí nos da cinco ejemplos de la oración. If you read the first paragraph of the chapter, you will discover that there is a widow in prayer. 
If you read the second paragraph, you will find that there is a Pharisee in prayer. And also in that paragraph, we read about the tax collector who was in prayer. In verse 18, the fourth paragraph, we read about a ruler who was in prayer. And then in verse 35, the seventh paragraph of the chapter, we read about a beggar who was in prayer. And I think that just about covers every area of life when it comes to who should pray and who can pray. Let me list those for you again. A widow, a Pharisee, a tax collector, a ruler, and a beggar. When it comes to prayer, God makes no difference in persons. Cuando se llega a la oración, vemos en este capítulo una viuda orando, un fariseo orando, un publicano orando, una, una líder orando y también una ciego pobre orando. Entonces vemos que en referencia a la oración, Dios no hace diferencia de personas. God hears prayers from all kinds of people. Somebody should say amen to that. Dios oye la oración de todas las personas. And if we look at these prayers, we're going to see some, some lessons that can be learned. And I don't have the time tonight to go through all of the prayers that are in this chapter. But if you take the time to study it, you'll find at least this. First of all, in the widow's prayer, we find a lesson about the persistence of prayer. En la oración de la viuda, vemos una le lección sobre la persistencia de la oración. I think you probably discovered by now that prayer requires persistence. Yo creo que usted ha descubierto para ahora que la oración requiere persistencia. Usted y yo, si vamos a tener éxito en la oración, tenemos que comprometernos a ser persistentes en la oración. If we're to have success in prayer, we need to have a persistence in prayer. And Jesus taught this about this woman who the Bible says that she needed justice. She needed God to answer her situation. She needed something to be done on behalf of herself and her family. She went before the king, and the king or the ruler continually denied her the justice that she needed, but she kept on going. She kept on persisting until finally she received the answer to her prayer. How many of you need some justice done on your behalf? How many of you need God to settle a case for you? Maybe you say, Pastor, there is a need in my family. We need an act of God. Can I tell you the, the answer is to persist in prayer, to knock and keep on knocking, to ask and keep on asking, to seek and keep on seeking because God will answer those who call on him. Now we look at the prayer of the Pharisee. We'll look at this one in a little more detail in a moment. But the prayer of the Pharisee tells us about a religious prayer. This was a prayer intended to impress prayer that was uh, an educated prayer, a prayer based on the intellectual side of man. And yet, although it was impressive and although it may have been a prayer that would have, would have been interesting to hear, it was not very powerful with God. And so we discover that as far as God is concerned, our prayers don't need to be eloquent. Our prayers don't need to be fancy. Our prayers don't need to be very educated. God can hear a simple prayer like, help, and be right there and understand what you need. How many of you ever had to pray that prayer? All you could say was, help, 
Maybe all you could say was Jesus. But can I tell you that God hears even the prayers in your tears. God knows what you need and he hears the prayer of your heart. And so you do not need to impress God, only to believe God. And so we see the prayer of the tax collector. This was a justifying prayer. And I'll get to that in a few minutes. You go a few verses down, you reach the prayer of the rich young ruler. And this was a prayer that, interestingly enough, was answered, but he went away mad. Have you ever gotten an answer to prayer and still got mad? Well, uh, just be a little honest with me tonight because this young man got the answer to his prayer, but it was not the answer he wanted. It was not what he was hoping to hear. And so he became angry about the answer. He became sad when he realized that Jesus was calling him to commitment. And so we would call this an incomplete prayer. Because you see, prayer doesn't end when you have stopped praying. Prayer doesn't end when you say amen. There are actually three parts to prayer. Can I give them to you real quick? The first part of prayer is you talking to God. The second part of prayer is God talking to you. And the third part of prayer is you doing what God told you to do. All right, simple. Three parts to prayer. You talking to God. Second part, God talking to you. Third part, you doing what God told you to do. You know how many of these parts most people do? Only number one. We get to amen. We say, all right, Jesus, the problem is yours. I'm done. You handle it. But you know what? There is a listening that God wants from his church. He wants us to listen, to hear, what is God saying to me? What is the answer that God wants me to hear? And then after we have heard from God, that prayer isn't complete until you have acted on and done the thing that God commanded of you or the God that, in, uh, that God instructed you. And so here we see an incomplete prayer because we see the man makes the prayer and Jesus gives the answer. But then we see that he does not do what he was commanded to do. And finally, the last prayer of the chapter is the prayer of the beggar. This beggar was a blind man who was calling out to Jesus. You know his name. His name was Bartimaeus. This was not a parable, but an actual event in the history of the life of Christ. And this man, as he heard that Jesus was coming by, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. He was praying that God would answer a physical need in his life. He was praying for healing. How many of you this evening need healing in your body? Well, can I tell you that Jesus is still healing the sick and that he is still answering the prayers of those who cry out to him in faith. You see in the prayer of this beggar that it was a prayer of faith. It was a prayer of confidence in God. There was no if you can heal. There was simply a Will you heal? There was a consistent faith on the part of the beggar to say, have mercy upon me. And so tonight, I want us to zoom in on two prayers in particular. And that is the one that we have read in verse 9. These two prayers are the prayer of the Pharisee and the prayer of the publican. And I want you to notice some things in the Pharisee's prayer so that you can avoid them. And I want you to notice some things in the publican's prayer so that you can repeat them. All right. Vamos a notar esta noche dos oraciones en particular. La oración del fariseo y la oración del publicano. 
Vamos a ver en el fariseo algunas cosas que tenemos que rechazar en la oración. Vamos a ver en el publicano algunas cosas que tenemos que empatizar en nuestra vida. Let's read it again, verse 9. It says, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went down to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. I want you to notice real quick with me that every time you come to prayer, there are two kinds of people in the house of God. Hopefully, there are more of one than of the other. But every church you ever go to, you're going to find two kinds of people in the house of God. Cuando usted va a la iglesia, siempre va a hallar dos clases de personas en esa iglesia. Usted va a hallar personas de fe y personas de religión. You're going to find people of religion and people of faith in every church. All right? So don't ever say, no, I don't go to that church because there's hypocrites in that church. Well, there was hypocrites in the temple, in the house of God. And so if that's your standard, you never would have made it to the temple. All right? My, my rule is this. What's one more? Just get on the bandwagon and come on with us. All right? Because nobody has ever lived this thing out exactly right. Say amen, somebody. But you're going to have to realize there are two kinds of people in every church. And your, your decision, my decision, is not, uh, well, uh, what kind of people are here tonight? But rather, what kind of person am I? La pregunta no es, ¿qué clase de personas hay aquí esta noche? Sino la pregunta es, ¿qué clase de persona soy yo? ¿Seré yo el religioso o seré yo el que cree? Am I the religious one or am I the one that believes? Well, let's look at the, the Pharisee first of all. When you think about a Pharisee, you have to think about a person who lived the law of Moses to the letter. These folks were very, very meticulous in their performance of the religious rituals. Fariseos eran unas personas los cuales caminaban rectamente conforme los estatutos de la ley de Moisés. If, if a publican uh, ground some, uh, some uh, comino, some cumin, in a grinder, si el, public, si el uh, fariseo, the Pharisee I should say, si el fariseo molía comino en un molino, después de haberlo molido, after he would grind it, he'd put it out on his little scale, él lo ponía en, en su nivel, or uh, someone help me with the word scale, pesa, en la pesa, y, y uh, entonces sacaba de ese comino que él había molido el diezmo. Then he would take out the tithe from the cumin that he had ground, all right? This is meticulous, okay? I'm not talking about, you know, writing a check for the round number of what you think you made last month. I'm talking about the last little ounce of spice was separated as a tithe to God. Los, los fariseos molían el comino y luego separaban el diezmo del comino y eso iba a ser para el Señor. Tanto así era la religión de los fariseos. Pero Jesús nos dice que este fariseo subió al templo a orar. This Pharisee came to the temple to pray. And this is what we hear in his prayer. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. He says, Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like the other people around here. I sure hope that's not your attitude tonight or any night 
But you know this was the attitude of the Pharisee. Esta era la actitud del fariseo. Señor, te doy gracias que yo no soy como los demás. Que yo no soy como estos demás que han venido. Él confiaba en sí mismo. Listen, one of the, the, the traits of religious life is self-confidence. La confianza propia es uno de los factores de la vida religiosa. When a man or a woman or a church or a denomination depends upon itself, it is by definition not going to have access before God. Cuando el hombre o la religión o la denominación se cree que, no, que es suficiente en sí mismo, por la definición no puede tener acceso a Dios. Porque Dios no permite que nadie se gloree en su presencia. God will not allow anyone to glory or to boast in his presence. Listen, no one will ever get to heaven because they were very good or because they were great. The only people in heaven will be there because of the mercy of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this man said, Lord, I thank you that I am not like other men. He trusted in his own ability. He trusted in his own ability to carry out the law of Moses to its perfection. He trusted in his own ability to carry out the requirements of every statute of the, of the Ten Commandments and those that follow. And then we see that he turns around and he says, I'm not like other people. And he starts naming names. He says, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even this tax collector. Now we see a little bit more into his heart. That first of all, he does not sense that he has a need for God. Primero, vemos en él que él no siente su necesidad de Dios. Listen, friends, I want to warn you against this very sinister feeling that comes into the heart of a seasoned Christian. It's very easy for us to get so routine about the Christian faith that we no longer sense a need for God. And we think, I already know the songs. I already know the verses. I already know what pastor's going to say next. I already heard this sermon before. I've already, I've already learned this lesson. And we think, I don't need God. There's a sense of the fact that we have already arrived. And that is a very dangerous place because the Apostle Paul says, take heed if you think you stand, lest you fall. You see, pride always comes before destruction. It always leads a man or woman toward their demise. El orgullo siempre causa que el hombre tropiece pensando que está bien cuando no lo está. Pensando, yo ya llegué, yo ya alcancé el logro, ya aprendí, ya este sermón ya lo oí, ya yo aprendí esa lección, ya me sé todos los cantos. Pero hermano, usted y yo tenemos que siempre cultivar nuestro entendimiento que necesitamos a Dios. And then the other thing we notice in his heart is that he has no love for people. Luego notamos que este hombre no quiere a los demás. No ama a los demás. He says, I'm not like these other men. We notice that this man is as far from the heart of God as any man can be. Este hombre está tan lejos de el corazón de Dios de lo que un hombre puede ser. Why? Because the heart of God is love for people. Say amen, somebody. Because God loved you. Say amen. And so the heart of God is love for people. El corazón de Dios es 
el, el amor hacia a, 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 a los humanos, al corazón y el, el alma del hombre. That's why one of our core values here at the church is that everyone is loved. We believe that, we teach that, we train our staff with that. Why? Because it is what we believe about God and it is what we want reflected in us. That every single person in this city is the object of God's love. That they are the object of God's affection. I don't care how filthy they may be. I don't care how much the, the world has mistreated them. I don't care how sinful their past may have been. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if God loved his son enough to give, uh, loved the world enough to give his son, surely we can love the world enough to give our love and our affection to those that Jesus loves. Can I just let you know this as an example? If you ever have a little problem with this, you say, Pastor, there's just some people that are hard to love. I know, I know that. But I want you to think about this. You're a parent, right? And sometimes uh, you have two, three children, maybe more, and sometimes they are not uh, in, in agreement with one another. Sometimes they're fighting one another, and they want you to take their side or the other. They want you to think that they're right and the other's wrong. And as a parent, you don't get involved in that because you know that right or wrong, you love them all. And right or wrong, you're going to get them through it. You're going to see them through it. So you see, we can't come to our father and say, Lord, don't really love that guy. It's best if you don't, you don't share too much affection on that lady. Lord, if you knew what she had done out there, you would not be loving her like you do. But, you know, God already knows. In fact, God knew about you and I before he saved us, and he saved us anyway. He rescued us out of darkness and brought us in to the marvelous light. So we say again and again, Lord, send them to us. We will love them. We will share the grace, shed the grace and love of God with the lost. Because if they can't get loved by God at church, where are they going to find that love? They're not going to find it in a bar. They're not going to find it in a nightclub. They're not going to find it in a dance hall. They're going to find it in a community of believers that have been washed in the blood of Jesus and who know the grace and the love and the power of God. And so he says, God, I am not like these other people, and I thank you for that. And I, I just uh, hear the gong, as the Bible says, it's a, it's a gong of, or a cymbal. It's just loud noise, no impact. Nothing is done in, in heaven. That prayer didn't even reach as high as the ceiling in the temple before it had already fallen to the ground. Now we have our second prayer. The Bible said there was a tax collector there. A tax collector is a, or a publican, is a member of the IRS in the first century, if you think about it like that. And the tax collector had an arrangement. Generally, the tax collector was a Jew, and they were working for Rome. The, Romans didn't, the, the Jews didn't like the Romans, so for a Jew to work for Rome, he was considered selling out. He was betraying his race to go and work for the Romans. Not only this, but the Romans had this basic agreement with tax collectors. They said, look, as long as you collect the share that belongs to Caesar, you can collect whatever else you want for you. And so tax collectors generally enrich themselves upon the, uh, the people. 
Because if, if Rome wanted 10%, they'd take a little extra for themselves. Make sure Rome got their 10, they would get the rest for themselves. This scheme was a way that the Romans would use to demoralize the nation of Israel. They would use it to demoralize the Jews. And so a tax collector was not well regarded in the nation of Israel. There was someone that had been, that had been set aside. It's amazing to me that Jesus had both a zealot, uh, uh, almost a Pharisee, and a tax collector, both in the group of 12 of his disciples. Imagine having these two guys right here. In fact, these two might be the disciples Jesus is talking about. Imagine having these two guys in the church van every time you go out. And there they are bickering and coming back and forth with one another. The tax collector, look at what happens in his prayer. The Bible says that he says that he is standing some distance away. He comes to the temple because he knows that he needs God. He knows that God has the answer for his life. He knows that he can't do it without God. He comes, but he is also very sensible to the fact that God is holy, that God is righteous, and that God is just. And so he stands far off. He doesn't dare to approach the way the Pharisee does because the Pharisee had lost all sense of the holiness of God. This tax collector stands afar off, not wanting to impose or to assume anything about God. Perhaps, whereas the Pharisee probably lifted his voice, made some big eloquent prayer about how awesome he was, this tax collector probably had a whispered prayer off in the corner of the tabernacle of the temple. And what did he say? He comes to God humbly in recognition of the holiness and the righteousness of God. And he's not even willing to lift up his eyes toward the Lord. He's not even willing to lift up his eyes to see the temple, let alone to see the Lord. Perhaps he was mindful of the fact that in Isaiah chapter 6, even the angels covered their eyes because of the holiness of God. And so perhaps he knew I can't even dare look upon him, but I need him. I have to have his help. He, although he knew God was holy, he also knew that God was love and that God was approachable. Oh, what beauty and what faith in his prayer. And he comes to the Lord, not even able to lift up his eyes before God. And he says this simple prayer. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He says, God, have mercy. Though we see, and so we see in his prayer, the prayer of, the, of faith in the righteousness of God. We see that he says to God, God, you are holy. You are just. But you are also rich in mercy and abounding in loving kindness. And although the sinner's prayer is never fully recorded in the text of scripture, I believe this is as much this, the, the, the completeness of the sinner's prayer as you'll ever find in all of the Bible. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But the Bible says simply this, that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you can be saved. And so it comes so simply as to receive the mercy of God. And so we find that this prayer is a prayer that has an incredible result. What is the prayer? What is the result of this prayer? 
the Bible says that he went away justified. He went away righteous. That's what justified means. It means to be declared righteous. To be declared righteous by God. This did not come for the Pharisees. This did not come for the man who depended upon himself. It came for that man who humbled himself before God and who said, God, be merciful to me. And, though, and so in his humility before God, he acknowledged his sin and he was justified. To be justified is to be declared righteous. It, it is when a man is declared righteous, it is as though they never sinned at all. All of their sins previously held against them are forgiven. All of their sins previously held against them are, are washed away. You say, preacher, how can this be? How can this happen? How can God simply wash away my past? Well, friend, it's not that God has washed away or, or, or simply look, turned the other eye or turned away his eye from our sin. But because of the blood of Jesus, he has washed away the sin of our past. And he has made us just and righteous before God. He has given us the perfect righteousness of Jesus, his son, which we wear as a garment of righteousness. And so you and I can stand before God as just, justified, righteous, holy before the eyes of God. In fact, when God looks at the saints, he no longer sees their sin. He no longer sees what they used to be. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees the man or the woman that God designed you to be through the blood of Jesus. So we see this man walks away justified before God simply on the basis of the fact that he believed God when he prayed. Jesus makes this final closing statement about these two prayers. He says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He says, whoever raises himself up, God says, I'll bring him down. Whoever thinks he's somebody, God will prove he's a nobody. God will shut it down just like that. He says, but whoever humbles himself, God says, I will exalt him. I will raise him up. I'll make a somebody out of a nobody. In that place of humility, this man finds the answer to his prayer. Tonight, I want to encourage you with the words of Jesus. Why did he give us these five accounts? Why does the Bible give us these five stories? The widow, the Pharisee, the publican, the ruler, and the beggar. Why? Because Jesus said in, the, in verse 1, he told them this parable so that men would know that they ought always to pray. What is Jesus doing? He's teaching us that we must pray all the time. Pray without ceasing. It is a continual lifestyle of prayer. I wonder how many times in my own life, my own ministry, that I have fallen short of receiving what I was asking for because I ceased to pray. You remember our father of the faith, Abram. He went before the Lord and he said, Lord, if there are 50 righteous men in Sodom, will you save it? The Lord said, yes. He decided to renegotiate. He said, Lord, if there are 40 righteous men in Sodom, will you save it? The Lord said, yes. 
said, all right, it's going pretty well. He said, Lord, if there are 20 righteous, will you save it? Lord said, yes. He got bold. He said, Lord, if there are 10 righteous men, will you save it? The Lord said, yes. And then Abram stopped praying. He ceased. I really believe if he had said, Lord, if there is one righteous man in Sodom, will you save it? That God would have said yes. The patriarch ceased in his prayer. And in the book of Kings, the second Kings, we read about King Joash. He went to the prophet Elisha. And Elisha told him, take the arrows. For these are the Lord's arrows of victory. He said, strike the ground. And he struck the ground, but only a few times. And the prophet said, why did you stop? Why did you only strike the ground three times? For the Lord would have given you victory and you would have decimated the enemy. If you had not stopped, if you had not ceased. And so tonight, the instruction is quite obvious for us. He says men ought always to pray without ceasing, without quitting, without giving up, without losing hope, without saying God's not interested, God doesn't care, God's not concerned. No, friend, if you'll hear the cry of a widow, and if you'll hear the cry of a beggar, and if you'll hear the cry of a tax collector, he will hear the cry of his children, and he will answer, and he will deliver, and he will save, and he will provide as he has promised to do so. Men, that's all of us, ought always, that's all the time, pray. That's three parts. Talk to God, listen to God, obey God without ceasing. Tonight, it's a simple word of encouragement. Don't quit here. That was a very weak amen. I said, don't quit here. You know, God has set up a big sign right here at the altar. It says, no parking allowed. You can't park here. You're not done. God said to Jacob, I will not let you go until I have done all that I have spoken. So tonight I want to challenge you. If your prayer seems to be delayed in its answer, keep on praying. And if it seems as though you've already asked too much, ask again. And ask for more. Because God is not limited in his resources. And if you say, well, the Lord already gave me one miracle, he probably won't give me two. You don't know the Lord. 
Because God doesn't have a limitation on what he can do on behalf of those who will believe. Come on, somebody. I don't mean you have to get one miracle a year. God can answer over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Pray without ceasing. Hang on. You're like Bartimaeus tonight. When he heard that Jesus was coming by, he started to pray. Jesus, over here. Over here, Lord. If anybody's getting a miracle, it's going to be me today. If anybody's going to get hurt, it's going to be me today. Come on, somebody. I said, if anybody, if you're going to bless anybody, Lord, it might as well be, it might as well be me. If you're going to touch anybody, it might as well be me. And, Lord, whatever they don't want, you can give it to me too because I need it. I need it to spare. And God will give and God will bless and God will answer if we'll believe. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. It tells us that with all things in thanksgiving, we are to make our prayer and supplication known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses knowledge, will guard our hearts and minds to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Would you stand with me tonight? I want to invite you to this altar. To say, Lord, I believe your word. I believe you hear me when I pray. And let's just make this house a house of prayer tonight. God knows your need, but he wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from his children. So let's fill this altar with prayer and faith tonight. Would you come find a place to meet with the Lord for a few minutes?